0: blog talk radio
1: welcome to the perkins platform this is a solutions oriented podcast and live radio show each broadcast we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore contemporary leadership issues and solutions in a variety of disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, Tonight we have a a special broadcast, a um, a very special guest who is an award-winning journalist at CNN um, who has books and articles. I I mean, you can look him up, and he will uh, certainly – uh, wow you with with his ability uh, to talk about very complex issues. Uh, I'm pleased to welcome tonight uh, and introduce to you uh, John Blake. John,
0: welcome to the show. Thank you, Brian. thanks for having me yeah
1: and and so John, uh, before we came on, as I told you, you know uh, what what I really um, uh, will say about what this the reason you're here is that um, I read. I just happened to read uh, one of your articles and your analysis that you did um, on CNN.com uh, about uh, white supremacy with a can, and I thought right. uh, uh, it was a brilliant analysis of of how white supremacy and uh, gets perpetuated and 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 uh, by non-white. And um, and so um, one thing I did want to point out, I know uh, reading one of the statistics was that by 2045 is estimated that um, whites will be and those who identify as whites will be in a minority in the country. And and one of the myths that you talked about um, um, was that racism will fade. And so your kind of um, position was that white supremacy will adapt. And so I just wanted to hear. So when you say white supremacy will adapt, what do
0: you mean by that exactly? Well, what I mean by that is this story we tell ourselves that by 2045, when whites become a minority, there's this belief that, you know, as you say, racism will fade. And I think it's a it's a myth um, because one, two points I'm trying to make. One is that white supremacy is much more adaptable than we Admit, mm-hmm. um, you know, remember when Obama was elected, and, you know, people start using the term post-racial and all that. And that was quickly erased by what happened afterward. Um, but all throughout our history in this country, uh, I think we've been very uh, eager to pronounce, you know, racism a thing of the past. or White supremacy is kind of we're at that we're, we're at the promised land. We're, we're, you know, it's going to it's on the way out. But mm-hmm. I'm saying that white supremacy is kind of like a virus. It will adapt. It will mutate. And it can change on the different forms, but it will still be white supremacy. And the second point Mm -hmm. I'm making is that you can have a version of white supremacy that exists in Latin America today where you don't necessarily have just all white people at the top, but you can have a new type of uh, white supremacist at the top. You can have Hispanics who will identify Mm -hmm. as white or multiracial people who will identify as white. And -hmm. you'll still have this same racial hierarchy that we have today where the whiter you look – you know, the more uh, social economic benefits you get from that, and the darker you look, the, b- mm-hmm. the more difficult it is for you. So I'm just saying that we're too we're rushing too much to 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 think that demographics alone
1: mm-hmm. will do away
0: with white supremacy.
1: Right, right.
0: And it is a mindset. And I uh,
1: in your article you talk about the elasticity of of yeah. whiteness, and and um, part of that. Uh, I think about um, you know I've, I've seen on applications and I have to admit I was con- quite confused when and I say confused and and I, it, it's more about uh, me being surprised not so much confused that I didn't understand why they did it but surprised when I saw on an application once uh, someone who um, it was uh, was born. Uh, in Puerto Rico and appeared to be raised in Puerto Rico, um, had a, had a high school, a, a, a record from Puerto Rico, but then on the application identified as white, um, Correct. Spanish, Spanish first language and so forth and right. presented as Hispanic, but indicated on the application as white. And I've, and, and so. I, 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 it confused me from the standpoint that any, anyone that I would have talked to would have said, oh, that person is, is Hispanic. And so is that what you mean by this
0: elasticity yeah, of whiteness? That's exactly what I mean. That's, that's mm-hmm. how one of the things I was saying in the article is that the future of whiteness in this country could rest with Latino people mm-hmm. because there is, there is a tradition – uh, in a Latin American community, it's not just the Latin American community, but it, it certainly exists with them. Of Latin people identifying as white. So, for example, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like this per- the the, per- the person in Puerto Rico you mentioned, maybe their parent or grandparents identified as Hispanic, uh, but say that person came to this country, they might find it's more beneficial for them to identify as white, and that's what happened. A lot there are a lot of Latino people who don't see themselves primarily as Latino people. They see themselves as white. So therefore, mm-hmm. for example, uh, when we had the 2020 presidential election, people were mystified that there were all these you know, Mexican-Americans in Texas around the Rio Grande, uh, Rio Grande Valley mm-hmm. uh, who voted for Trump. But as people mm-hmm. pointed out to them, a lot of those people don't see themselves primarily as Latino as people, Latino. Or Mexican-Americans. Mm-hmm. They see mm-hmm. themselves as first as white. And so what I'm saying is we can have a lot more of that in the future so that whiteness can still remain the dominant group. It'll just include new members. It will expand like Cassie. Uh,
1: yes, yes. Well, but, you know, I've been in conversations where um, even if you take someone uh, or take some people like some of our prominent um, uh, politicians that are in the national spotlight. Um, with um with with uh spanish um, last names and they have they have uh, taken positions that seem to harm right. uh the hispanic community and and when talking to whites who view these individuals, they view them as hispanic they don 't view them as right. white i i mean i 've talked to white people who do you think well, if you had to say what the race and ethnicity of this person, what, what would you say? And often they come back with, oh, just quite frankly, it's, oh, that's a Hispanic. Um, and, and so um, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I think that um, I can understand what you're, what you're pointing out here. My question too, though, um, when, I, when I consider the, the idea of color, and I know you talk extensively about that, too, about colorism. And right. I've seen I've, I've done a lot of work in Brazil and I've seen okay. uh, firsthand in Brazil, right. which actually happens to be um, the second most populous country of yeah. African people on the globe. And a lot of people don't right. know that. But but it is. But. Colorism is a real yes. Issue in Brazil um, And, and uh, My question is uh, Do you think colorism or do you consider Colorism to be uh, Grounded in White supremacist ideology
0: Oh yeah, it's essential To white supremacy mm. And I'm glad mm. you mentioned Brazil Because to me, Brazil Is a prime example of what I call White supremacy with tan So being in Brazil Brazilians, like a lot of Latin American, like a lot of other Latin American countries, often like to talk about how they're beyond race, that racism doesn't exist, that they are mixed people, that it doesn't matter. We see ourselves as Brazilians. We have all these mixtures of skin colors and interracial unions. So, you know, we're not like the United States. We're not, you know, we don't have that problem with race. But if you look at the people who are in charge of Brazil, who run Brazil, I read recently that 80% of the one percenters in Brazil are people that look or define themselves as white. So that's a prime example of how white supremacy can adapt on the surface cosmetically. If you look at Brazil, you say, "Oh, all these mixture of people, they don't have a problem with race." However, when you mm-hmm. see who is at the top of the socioeconomic chain, who runs mm-hmm. the country, who are they? White people. Mhm. Mhm.
1: Absolutely, and and that's w- what you were talking about—racism in unexpected places. What about Cuba? Yeah, um, mixed A lot of yeah, yeah, a lot yeah. of uh, uh, people from the African diaspora. What about them?
0: Same. I think the same dynamic exists. You have a country that seems racism is kind of like a, re- a relic of capitalism that we're beyond this. You know, mm-hmm. Fidel Castro wanted to create this country that went beyond race, but when you look at the people who run Cuba, they're overwhelmingly people who either look white or who are dominated mm-hmm. or define themselves as white. And there's – see, one of the things people don't understand is there's a lot of anti-black prejudice among Latino people. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. so there's – people have a hard time accepting this, and that's why I said in the story that if we're going to deal with white supremacy, we're going to have to really sooner or later deal with this racial hierarchy that says that people who look a certain way, certain, certain way that is, who look white, have, you know, should be at the top of a, of a certain hierarchy, and those who are darker looking should be at the bottom. I mean, it, it, this mm-hmm. is racial hierarchy that's been around, as I say, for like 500 years,
1: that mm-hmm. was used to
0: justify colonialism and used to justify slavery. That's the thing we have to attack before we really mm-hmm. are going to make a dent in white supremacy. Mm-hmm. well it's interesting you bring that up because i have
1: a, a colleague who uh born and raised in the dominican republic um mm-hmm. i, I want to say about a year or two ago sent me a um a uh one of these these uh, printouts from um her uh the, the i think i want to say it was uh Twenty-three and Me, or something like that, but where they yeah. do the DNA analysis, and and so um, this is someone who presents uh, very much um, Latina, um, and um, and it came back something like forty-six percent uh, from Cameroon, Africa, and and so kind of jokingly because I'm I'm a very dark-skinned black man. Uh, jokingly, Mm -hmm. she wrote to me and said, now show me your card, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, this is, I have this much black blood in me. What about you? You know,
0: and and Mm -hmm. we kind of
1: laughed at it, because she does not present that way. And so some some people um, look at it and think from a biological perspective, you that you can tell how much one way or another, but just because someone presents a certain way doesn't make it that they're more or less black or white.
0: That's an excellent point. Um, I mentioned in my article that I have a relative, a nephew, that is uh, blonde, very light eyes, pale skin. If you saw him, you'd think you're looking at a 16-year-old white boy. There's nothing mm-hmm. that seems to be black about him. But in mm-hmm. fact, his mother is half black and his, his grandmother is black. And mm-hmm. I read a story today in the Washington Post about a white woman who did a DNA test who found out that her mother was black. But if you looked at her, you would never think. Never know. So I'm mm-hmm. thinking also with a lot of this DNA testing, we're starting to see how complicated race is. But as I said in the article, ultimately we have to accept that race is a biological fiction. It's not. A, mm-hmm. it, 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 scientifically, it's bogus. We know it's a political reality. I mean, it's a political reality. I tell people – you know, I can say all I want that race doesn't exist, but if I'm stopped by a police officer at one o'clock in the morning, I'm black. You know, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. I think ultimately we have to get beyond and understand that race is a fiction. It does not. It's not a scientific reality.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Many uh, commentators have remarked that fear is at the root of this. Do you agree with that?
0: At the root of what? I'm not of,
1: of of supremacy. You know that that is that people believe they fear others that don't look like them, and so they this this hierarchy has been created and perpetuated based on the fear that um, if you're not like me, that some somehow you'll you'll do
0: me harm. No, I I think that that is definitely a component of it, but I think that another huge component of white supremacy and colorism is that. She, that it's a tool to exploit people, mm. and it's a tool also to justify disparities. So if you're going to enslave or colonize people, you have to justify why they deserve that type of treatment. So you have to mm. somehow create these stories that they are some human. Or if you have a country like we have, for example, we have all these disparities where you know, black people are, have higher poverty levels and maybe certain educational levels don't uh, match with others that are white. You have to justify that. So instead of pointing the finger at you or racism in a country, you say or hint or imply that there's something wrong with the people, their race, those people, black people, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something wrong, their pathology, their culture. You see, that's part of, I think that's a huge part of why race is used when it comes to white supremacy. Mm -hmm. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I I have read and and saw you actually address this a little bit. Um, about kind of the psychological uh, aspect of of race here. Um, and so there's this notion of whiteness and that a lot of racial groups gravitate towards whiteness. You know, I, sure. I, I mean, I remember years ago, you know, seeing um, Asian women dye their hair yes. brown, uh, dye their hair blonde or what have you, um, you know, What is the reason for that?
0: Well, I think, as I mentioned, I think there are pragmatic and psychological reasons. Psychological reasons, for some people there's a self-loathing, you know, Mm -hmm. that they don't want to appear dark because it's seen as less attractive. It doesn't conform to certain beauty standards. But I think we also have to be honest that there's a pragmatic reason. There are benefits that you get in many societies by being white. You get better jobs. You get better opportunities. I'll give you an example like more personal. Like, and, you know, you you've mentioned you're a dark-skinned, uh, you know, mm-hmm. man. Mm-hmm. I have often wondered if me being lighter-skinned and having a white mm-hmm. mother and not being a large, physically imposing dark man has helped make white people more comfortable around me, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, just in job mm-hmm. settings. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. know like you, but I've noticed when I've been working in corporate America, when I see a large, dark black man, it's like they do almost everything to, do, do, to kind of reduce their size, to make right. sure they talk in a soft voice.
1: So what I'm trying to say,
0: <laughs> so you laugh and you know what I'm talking about. You know, I you know what exactly I'm talking about. Exactly right. right. Right, right. right. But so there, there, there's, a, there's a, a kind of a, a benefit that you get in career opportunities and all sorts of opportunities in life, unfortunately, from your skin color. And mm-hmm. so that's one of the mm-hmm. reasons people in places like Vietnam, Nigeria, lighten their skin. It's not just self-loathing. Mm.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I, I laughed because, um, you, know, you know, before we, we went live on the air, you know, I acknowledged that I had I read that you went to an HBCU, Howard University, and right. uh, told you that I went to Grambling and another HBCU in the South. And I I think for me, though, um, when I have noticed it, um, there has been a certain profile, certainly not everyone. But Mm -hmm. I'll just speak for myself and say that the voice I got from going to my HBCU, uh, I think it was a little too late for me to try to diminish who I was by the time I was 21, 22 years old. And Mm -hmm. so, um, but I have seen um where there are individuals who who exactly as you've said that were actually whether they were athletes and so they weren't small in stature Mm -hmm. um but you when when they start to talk you could barely hear them and i i didn't know what that was about but i i know and and some some names and pictures come to mind of who those people are and i think it's unfortunate because psychologically it's damaging and um because in a lot of ways these people are denying who they are um i'd like to ask you this question i earlier in the summer i had a a panel um and it was a panel and actually it wasn't this summer it was last summer after the murder of george floyd um i had a uh, a panel of black men that um, came on the show and I wanted them to talk, and they all had sons, but I wanted them to talk about the talk that they have with their sons, and then the talk that they had um, that their parents gave or didn't give to them about what it means to be a black man. And so, um, I'd like you know if you if you care to share, just like the and you you are very opening your your um your article about your um multiracial heritage. Um uh did you did you have a talk yourself <laughs> about what it meant to be
0: a black man? Uh no and I laugh because where I grew up People didn't really have to give you that talk, and I'm sure it happened, <laughs> but it was so obvious the dangers yeah. that came with being a black man. I grew up in West mm-hmm. Baltimore. Okay. I grew up in the same neighborhood where The Wire, the HBO series, was filmed. Sure,
1: yeah. With a pretty yeah.
0: great riot. So I grew up yeah. there. So yeah. it was very obvious to me as a boy what happened to black men. I remember mm. playing catch in the backyard with my, my brother. We were about seven or eight. And we just saw a black woman run through our backyard and a white cop came right behind her, jumped on top of her, beat the hell out of her, right in front of her. Mm. Oh. So we saw that kind of brutality happen to black yeah. people or white cops all the time. So uh, I didn't get that talking because I think they didn't think it was necessary. I saw what happened. The talk mm-hmm. that I got from my father, given you know, a multiracial background, is my father would get mad at me because I would tell him I'm not biracial, I'm black. He would always mm. tell me, "Don't do that because when you do that, you deny your mother,
1: mm-hmm. so
0: that's mm-hmm. the talk I got, but that mm-hmm. so:
1: yeah, you know, and and that's that too. very, very complicated because um people you know as as soon as you present as at all white, you know just a drop, as they say, uh, then you're yeah. black. Um, I had a, a friend and a colleague many years ago. Uh, that um, he was uh, white and black, and and we're you know I mean I don't know maybe watching a news um, a news presentation and and he thought it necessary to start talking about how much he uh, loathed white women, and his mother <clears> was <throat> white, and I said, hey yeah. hey, you don't have to do that, and so you know just and so it works on both sides where uh people feel and I don't know I mean he didn't he it didn't seem like he was being duplicitous but you know doing that in one area and then when he was around other people behaving a different way but it was just it, it was sad to me that he felt that that was what he had to do
0: well yeah that he sounds like uh I can relate to some of that because there was a time in America where it was more difficult to be biracial. You know, you heard of the mm-hmm. kind of mm-hmm. tragic mulatto myth, the idea mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. you're not accepted by white or black, and I went through a little bit of that. I tell people that I was a closeted biracial person growing up in West mm. Baltimore. I mean, mm-hmm. when I grew up in my neighborhood, nobody liked white people, so I didn't want anybody to know my mom was no. white. Mm-hmm. So, and also mm-hmm. I absorbed this kind of hostility toward white people that was part of my neighborhood too, so I mm-hmm. didn't like I was ashamed of having a white mother, and I really disliked my mother's family, which happened to be very racist. So mm-hmm. I can relate to that kind of you know kind of a self loathing and those complicated feelings. But I think mm-hmm. now it is so different being biracial. It's cool, you know. We have mm-hmm. all these role models, you know, Obama. Sure, we see him in sure. commercials. Jordan Peele, you know, and as I point out in my article, I think biracial people are seen as almost kind of like the vanguard of this new racial order. I think mm. some people believe the more interracial couples we have, and the more biracial children we'll have, the less racism there will be. But mm-hmm. I'm saying no; mm-hmm. it can be just the opposite.
1: Sure, sure. And and but you know the the further complication has to do what I've heard referred to as kind of racially ambiguous
0: people. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah you yeah. know,
1: and and <laughs> so you know, where where there are certain features that are desirable, right. that, are, that are very similar to what, you you know, in the colorism and the gravitation towards whiteness, that so just these features are more desirable.
0: But do you think that's changing, Brian? Like, for example, we mm. look at some of the role models uh, for beauty, whether it's men and women and models and entertainers, do you think we're getting away from that a little bit, that we can see someone who's dark, who has certain features, that they're handsome or beautiful? well i I think
1: it, it that too is a complicated question i think i'm I'm suspicious often about okay. the motives when I see it, um, yeah. because sometimes i've seen it, and it it has been it has been extremely different, you know, so it's like from one extreme to the next, where um, in oh. one case you have these racially ambiguous individuals and they they are Uh, put up front, but then it swings, the pendulum swings completely to the other side where there are, um, you know, like very dark um, um, men and women, um, you know, with uh, coarse gray hair and, and that too makes up the African diaspora, but what is not a complete picture it's like it's yeah. either one or the other, and it's like no, there are a lot of people in between, um, and and you don't often see it. But what makes me suspicious also is when um, even in uh, these these industries like uh, film industry and and models that the same people are used over and over again from from the the, the African diaspora, th- those, th- it's, there's not a wide range. So when we think about movies and television shows, we see the same people over and over again. And, but in, when we're talking about other shows that are predominantly white cast, then you have a range of people who are in, in those. So I, I guess for me, the answer is I, it, it's, it, it doesn't seem uh, genuine that there is an appreciation it does not feel genuine in in Hollywood and other places that there is a a real appreciation for the continuum of blackness in America there's there's a defined one or the other
0: okay i see hmm. yeah okay. yeah
1: yeah so i um so the last thing i know we're almost out of time that i wanted to ask um you know so what do you predict will happen? So we got 2045. This is going to be, um, there's going to be um, not necessarily an obvious difference between um, the numbers of whites. I mean, we maybe if we put a bunch of people in a room, you might see half or not. But what do you think we, we will experience um, if, if it's if other groups are in the majority will is your prediction that we will still have this gravitation towards whiteness and if the answer is yes is it because we are um we've we've been in this place of white supremacy for so long
0: yeah my prediction is is yes that white supremacy will adapt that say in 2045 that we will look like say a Brazil or a Cuba And that is cosmetically You'll see a lot more different types of Colors and uh, of people uh, But those that are Defined as white whatever that may be Will still be the dominant group and I Just say that mm-hmm. because when I look at The history of white supremacy it is so Adaptable and, and We keep on underestimating Its ability to adapt So that's mm-hmm. unfortunately uh, My prediction I do think My hope is, and people told me this, uh, that sooner or later that we will start to see race as, like, as one person called it, uh, we will start to see race. People who see race, we will see them the same way as people who used to believe that the earth was flat. Mm -hmm. That we'll understand that it's nonsense, that it's not a scientific reality, and Mm -hmm. that we'll kind of go beyond race. But that's a big step in the future. Yeah. But in the meantime... Yeah, and, that, and it's a dangerous step because some people want to do that, but they don't want to deal with issues of justice. You know, they just want to say, I don't see race. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I do think white supremacy is, is going to be around and going to, is, go, is going to adapt. I mean, who would have, just mm-hmm. think of it, who would have predicted January 6th after Obama was elected? That's right. I mean, you know, right. who would have predicted all these things? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have politicians now talking in such openly racist ways. I remember just a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, there was a, a white politician in Virginia running for office. He used the word um, macaca. That was a slur. George Allen. He was drummed out of politics.
1: Right. And right. now,
0: right, now politicians say say stuff so much worse. Oh, absolutely. So I'm absolutely. saying it's already happening in front of us now. We're seeing white mm-hmm. supremacy adapt, be even more brazen less ashamed Mm -hmm. so yeah Mm -hmm. i could see that yeah
1: yeah and i think a large part of it is that there you know there's uh less accountability you know uh for for those things you know and that's a whole other conversation right Um, (laughs) Right, but yeah there's there's uh there's far less accountability well listen john i i really thank you for taking time out of your evening um enjoyed this conversation immensely learned a lot uh i'll be looking um, John, you want to say a little bit about your book? I know it's been a couple years out, um, but i as <laughs> a matter of fact, I just ordered it. Um, and so oh, I've, I've, yeah, I've read um, uh, reviews and I've also read um, uh, a little bit uh, about the, on the cover, um, but I listened to a talk. So those of you listening in, uh, John is on YouTube. Uh, he did a talk um, and highlighted parts of his book. Um, at Piedmont University, um, well-spoken, um, points well-made there, John. Uh, but will not you say a little bit about your book before we close out?
0: It's called Children of the Movement, and what I did is I looked at the children of the biggest leaders from the Civil Rights Movement, uh, like the children of, say, Dr. King, Malcolm X, Stokely Carmichael, as well as the children of their enemies, like the children mm-hmm. of segregationists like George Wallace, and I wanted to know how their lives were shaped by what their parents did and what could they tell me about their parents that you don't really read about in history books. So that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm looking but forward to it. But I'm working on a new one now. Yeah. Okay. What, what's that one? That's going to be a memoir about, uh, I mentioned uh, growing up in West Baltimore, uh, yeah. being multiracial and uh, having a white family that really didn't like black people and the mother and, the, and people on her side that wanted nothing to do with me and me just growing up with that kind of hostility toward uh, my mother's family mm-hmm. and how I eventually reconciled with them.
1: Mm. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to that. You got a working title?
0: Uh, I don't want to put it out there because it might sound okay. stupid. So, okay. But uh, I think it's gonna I hope it will be good.
1: No problem. Yeah, no problem. Working on that Listen, I'm gonna. I'm definitely going to be tuned in. I always, and so many people have, have commented, they were really excited that you were going to be on tonight and they, we follow, we support you, John, continue with your, with your analyses and your, your, your making these points. Um, There are people out there reading um, and paying attention and sharing. um, Because when I said your name, people knew it. uh, When I talked about it before. So, uh, we're delighted to, to have you uh, putting such great uh, work out there. And I'm, like I said, I'm looking forward to Children of the Movement. That's already out there, folks. Make sure you support uh, John and, and, and get that one. And I'm going to be on the lookout for your next one. And, uh, and hopefully after that one comes out, we'll get you in um, and, and have you talk about it. But, John, again, appreciate it. And until next time, go well, stay well, my friend.
0: Thank you Brian, Thank you so much for the opportunity to talk.:
1: Take care: okay, you.
0: Should-